Some guidance before we begin. This episode is about the TV series Jessica Jones, which contains themes of sexual assault and trauma. and mind control welcome to marvel versus marvel it's a podcast where someone who has never read a marvel comic book before in their life watches a marvel movie or tv show and then quizzes someone who is not just a marvel expert but was taught to read with marvel comics it's the yin and the yang of the marvel experience hello and welcome to the show my name is rob holden i'm a comedian and writer and i am the marvel expert half of the equation joined by the man whose journey this is and he's a very ignorant pan as well it's mr will preston hello it's an ignorant journey and i'm happy to learn nothing along the way (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, you're ignorant at the start of the journey, and then hey, the knowledge grows and develops. I'll, I'll decide what I retain at the end of the walk, thank you very much. I <laughs> uh, remember we did a, a an annual recap after the first year, and there was yeah. a lot of gaps going on there. So no, don't remember that. Captain America did what? Iron Man who? Yeah. Um, well, this is a blockbuster episode. I'm mm. so excited and jazzed for this one. Yeah. This episode is so important, guys. It Marvel's very first leading female project four years before Captain Marvel movie. Um, we're dealing with the murky world, Marvel's underbelly, and the hard-drinking, depressed private investigator Jessica Jones, one of my all-time favorite characters. Are you... Jazz for this one, Will. I am. I am jazz. Behind the curtain, we were planning to do this earlier, and I, when when I started writing it and watching rewatch it again, I I just realised how good the show was from the inside out. I think mm. it, it's improved on a second watch, but I've only watched the first season of it, and I I put, I put it down on my list to watch the entire thing because wow. I'm really looking forward to this. Um, before I go any further, I'm going to say, uh, please drink responsibly. Now, for some reason, I used to have with Daredevil and Jessica Jones, like mm. when the fir- I remember pausing the first episode of Daredevil after the title sequence and a few minutes, and going, "Oh my god, this is really good!" Yes, and I and it was it was late at night, and I ran and I grabbed a bottle of whiskey and a glass, and I came back and I sat and watched three or four episodes in a row drinking and that became my thing that i did with daredevil and then jessica jones was the same i was giving jessica jones a go Mm. one of my favorite characters i was encouraged by the daredevil but i was mm. and but again after the title sequence and the opening of it i went after a few minutes i went ah gotta get that bottle again um and i would i would watch the the the, these two Mm. in four or five episode blocks whilst having a drink and whilst re-watching for the episode for the for the for this episode today the old habits came back i just thought Yay. i'm just gonna put this on i've already seen it i'm just doing it for a bit of research and then after a while i was like oh i'm gonna turn all the lights off get atmospheric the and then habits. after a little while i was like yeah. i have to go and find a bottle of something because gah um the old habits have come back for me too I, i've uh <laughs> i've started drinking a bit um but i've been quite responsible with it i never get any drinks in the house i get non-alcohol beer still but like i'll go out and socialize and i'll have a i'll have a few beers every now every now and again 
you know, I, I, I you know, I, I, I push myself with it, but I, I I'm drinking responsibly <laughs> most of the time. Push myself, but there we go. It feels I've like got a real balance hand on the situation. It's really nice. Uh, it's, 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 it's this nice, pleasant like midway point. Midway point. I don't know. I thought you had to hear we're drinking. Yeah. Coming up on the show, we go behind the scenes on the Jessica Jones TV series mm. and how it was nearly the Carol Danvers show. Yes. We go behind the page on how Marvel threw out the rule book and allowed Jessica Jones to swear and drink and shag. We explore the huge differences between the comic books and the TV series. We dive into the worst things the Purple Man has ever done. Mm. And we explore the relationship between Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and Spider-Man. It's all to come. Make sure you don't go anywhere. Um... So, uh, so you've been back on the booze then? <laughs> not, not, not in a, not in a like drinking an entire bottle of whiskey. To uh, let you behind the curtain, folks, Will jumped the gun on the chat and banter section of the show before we did the contractual have to let you all know the coming up section, which has to go as close to the start as possible. Ask anyone that does a podcast. But Will was just straight into Rob. I need to talk about boozing, <laughs> so I cut him off. I did the coming soon, and now we're going back to drinking. Now we're going to drink. Yeah, I um. I, I, I had this thing where when I was sober, I'd go, yeah, but on special occasions, I'll have a drink or two. And then I I, I recently, especially after quick comedy, it was just like, because I need to be sober to do comedy. And, you know, because well, I'm driving all that as dri- well. Driving all that. And then I was just like, oh, yeah, I remember when I, before I did comedy, I used to go out socializing at random events and stuff. And now I'm there and it's like, I, I first started doing it with non-alcohol beer, but a lot of places charge you the same amount of money for a small bottle of non-alcohol beer as a pint and I started off with that and I'm like this is going to cost me so much I might as well just have a light beer and then it's just like oh I can do this but like mix up with with a pint of water or a soft drink or something and just just pace myself and not go back to the old habits I had years and years ago where I just get absolutely blasted out of my face. I had a couple of years of doing that as well, yeah, um, and found it easy enough to manage. Um, yeah. I, I must admit, these days it's uh, I'm it's I'm entirely controlled by the by the the cost of a pint. Like yeah. it's just I can't do what I, I the way I used to enjoy the the local pub and everything. I used to go to my local three or four times a week, spend a few hours in there, chat, socialize, see people, mm. unwind after a day of work. You know, especially when you work for yourself, you don't have a lot of conversation in the day. So you pop out and you get all that, and it was great. I just cannot afford that anymore at all. No, the cost no. of a the cost of a night of an I'm not, and a, a night out. I mean, going out and talking to a couple of mates and having you know four or five beers. It's just getting. It's really, you know, it's a huge. It can be oh, a huge bill. It's absolute. I mean, I, I'm limiting my nights out. What I do is I sort of have like two nights a week where I'll like go out for things. But I won't be doing pre-drinks. I won't be there from the ultra start. I'll pop along, you know, just for a bit. You know, because I had this thing where it's like I used to do it a lot when I moved to London, just go to uh, meet-up groups and stuff just to meet new people, just to get out of the house and socialise with a large group of people without having to organise people you know into one place. And it's just such a nice little thing. Mm. I had a great time last night in Paddington uh, with some people talking about Sopranos and stuff around a table and Band of Brothers, and it was just like, hey, this is great. I, I haven't done this as much when I used to do comedy because I was so busy, and now I'm just having fun, living for myself. I'm really you've happy re- with You've life. retired. You've retired from the... <laughs> I still got a full-time job during the day, and it genuinely, you're right, it feels like I've retired, and it's one. It's the best kind of retirement where <laughs> my real retirement will come later, and I'll be like, oh my God, I have even more free time now. And it'll be like, okay, fair play. I've That's- been busier than ever this month, so like, 
like this is I think this has been the my busiest month for comedy um workshops um yeah. for those of you out there, you know how often I talk about this my I, in general I I most of the way I make my money is by writing with other comedians and helping comedians get the most out of their stand-up sets and running these little workshops one-on-one sometimes it's scripts sometimes it's Edinburgh show sometimes it's summit for tv um but this has been my busiest month it's been very hectic um it's, tomorrow it's tomorrow Sorry, it's good to hear. Like you know, stuff's coming back after COVID as well. Yeah, yeah, it's all good. Tomorrow, I'm uh, doing ringside commentary for Future Shock Wrestling in Manchester. We've got a new venue, uh, the MMU, kind of the Student Union, which looks like a really nice building. Um, and I've just taken on a small class of trainees, um, trainee wrestlers who want to learn all about wrestling commentary. So I've got amazing uh, small classes lined up and people shadowing me and stuff. So that's. Uh, <laughs> that's going to be fun. That's going to be interesting. I got my first one of those late this evening. That's good. I I, I didn't get much done apart from socialising and and some exercise. I started swimming again. I had COVID for a week. That's what I wanted to talk about. Yeah, sorry. I, was, I wanted to get that on because I, I sensed you were going to move on to the next section. And they went, no, I still have more stuff to talk about involving me. Yeah, I, I um, if you listened. To uh, our last episode, uh, which episode was that? Again? <laughs> we fell apart at the end. Oh, it was Avengers. Avengers: Earth's Mightiest Heroes, which is is absolutely lighting up the downloads. People are loving that one. Yeah, no. I, if you notice towards the end of part two, uh, the very end, I might not sound myself and i'm a bit weary headed and i thought i just because i was coughing that day and i didn't feel great uh I, I thought it was just a bug or something and then the next day i tested positive for covid is that your first uh, encounter with the second runner? second ah. the first encounter happened weeks before i was due to go on my honeymoon um, oh that's right and, and, and this second time was bad the worst part of it was that uh, my wife tested negative for covid but she needs to uh, fly to Germany at some point. Uh, you know, it could be a, a day's notice or something. So she can't obviously uh, get COVID and then fly. Uh, so I, <laughs> I had to isolate for a full week in the spare bedroom. I, 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 I wasn't even allowed the cats in. I had to have my meals pushed through a door like I was in prison. I, I, I'd be harsh. She was very good. She was very good. She, she did a lot for me. Uh, but I luckily, I but had isn't my... that ideal for you? Just you and a, and a computer playing games for a full week? Well, I couldn't sit up because I was dizzy, and the bed, the way the room's organised, the spare bed comes over at an angle. I can't really play it at my desk because I have nothing to lean back on. But and this is the good part: I did have my Steam Deck. I had a which Steam... is like a handhold thing, right? It's basically a Nintendo Switch uh, designed to play PC games, and you can play pretty much anything on it. And I spent my time completing. Uh, Disco Elysium, uh, Mass Effect Andromeda, and started my second attempt at Death Stranding. And I also went through most of the HD remaster of Resident Evil, the original Resident Evil, the HD remaster, which is, to this day, it's 20 years old now, to this day, it's still a fantastic game. You see, it's no, there's no... Were you one of those kids where, like, threatened with, being threatened with I'm sending you to your room meant nothing to you? No, 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 because that's where all my stuff was, wasn't it? That's where all my stuff is. All, all my comics stuff. are there. All, all, my, all, my, all my action figures, everything is there. Be hey, we're having house. a hell of a month uh, in the month of November on yeah. Marvel vs. Marvel. We dropped that little special Black Panther um, special release on, uh, on the 11th, which was release mm. day for Wakanda Forever. I'm excited to go and see that very soon. Um, next week, MVM Revisited will take you behind the page on the creation of Deadpool, uh, his mm. history from from like his creation, his writing.
rise to a mega popular character and then his immediate fall off the face of the earth into this kind of obscure character no one cared about and then his return and rise back to the top so that's gonna be a really cool episode of mvm revisited plus We've got a uh, another big deep dive episode right after that. Ooh, we've been doing. We're going to reveal it at the end of the show. It, we've been doing TV shows for a little while now with Manchester Heroes and and Jessica Jones. It's time to go back to the MCU, back to a blockbuster movie. We'll reveal that later on in the show. Let's take a trip now into the mind of a muggle to get the perspective of someone that doesn't have uh, any knowledge, really, of the of the Marvel Universe, the Marvel comic book universe. Like, that's the two perspectives that me and Will bring to the table. I grew up reading these characters um, avidly, was taught to read with them, and Will doesn't have any experience outside the TV shows, mm. the movies, or the video games. So, um, how did, like, when this series comes out, Jessica Jones on the Netflix, did you see it at the time, and what did you think? I did. Uh, I, I think it, I, I didn't see it immediately. Uh, I think Daredevil was the first of the Netflix shows I saw, but I did eventually get onto Jessica Jones because I heard good things and people saying David Tennant's in it. And Dave, even though I wasn't a big Doctor Who fan, when I watched the David Tennant run, I, I adored. I, I adored his performance as Doctor. I think a lot of people did as well. He was considered very. Popular. Oh yeah. But um, I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, like Dare, Daredevil. You were like, not. I wasn't expecting to have such violent and adult content. And Jessica mm. Jones was even more so. And it was just this uh, female-led superhero with very uh, real problems. Um, so what were, you, what were you expecting going in then? I don't know what my expectations were. I just I got told, oh, she's like a drunken private investigator with problems. I'm like, okay, a flawed superhero. That sounds good. Because you remember that... <laughs> God, this is going to be an odd one. Do you remember that film with Will Smith, Hancock? Yeah, yeah, yeah Hancock. Because the first half of that, before it turned into a, a generic superhero film in the second half, with it just fell apart. But the first half was quite good because you're dealing with a superhit, someone who's got superpowers, who's got substance abuse problems, they're depressed, and it's like, I like this, someone with superpowers, but they're suffering from the stuff that a, you know the regular Joe has. They're they yeah. suffering from that malaise. And Jessica Jones was even more so, but there was this nice, uh, gritty film noir edge to it. And I, and I dug that right away. I really enjoyed that aspect. And you, you I caught this even more so on the second time I watched this, or when I was uh, doing this for the podcast, the, the subtext about trauma and abusive uh, behavior is just so well done. It's mm. you pick up on it right away. Well, it's text. Go, it's text. Uh, I mean, it's it's not particularly sub. I mean, what what I think what you're saying is the way it can relate to any kind of trauma experience or any kind of abuse yes. situation. I mean, yes, yeah. it, it is about trauma, but there's a certain kind of trauma that is like, oh, it's about mind control. But it's it, mm. it, it, it it's it's a bit more than that if you read beyond it. It's just oh, completely great. It's really good. There are things they layer in as well throughout the series. Mm. Um, Kilgrave's catchphrase, the thing that he sort of says to Jessica so much, is "smile." Yes, oh. which harkens, which harkens to this this huge thing that w- the women would talk yeah. about, and uh, you know, it took me a while to learn about it because you know I'm just an idiot. 
but this this awful thing of men will actively say to women in public why don't you smile you should smile you need to smile more yeah. they'll say it on social media on pictures and things like that um so they layered that in as well with just that little thing of him telling her that you smile you're much prettier when you smile so laying in layering that yeah. kind of thing in the idea that as we see later on in the series um he demands that Jessica um, send pictures of herself to him, uh, which again has an everyday kind of misogyny yeah. connotation to the pressures that can be put on women to um, take pictures and send them to people. We see an awful lot of rise of that, unfortunately, young people with smartphones and things. Yeah. So, incredibly smart writing throughout the series to, to do, to as you say, to take this kind of sci fi element, yeah. but layer into it these, these ways that it can apply to so much everyday kind of general people's cases of sexism misogyny trauma and abuse yeah but i i I probably said this before about sci-fi some of the best sci-fi is about looking at societal problems and finding a way to explain or relate using the extraordinary Mm. Um, definitely absolutely um so did you have much how, how did you feel about how daredevil and this series related to like the mcu did it feel part of the mcu to you did you expect to see jessica jones show up in some of the movies or I didn't expect them to because because it was on Netflix. It was a Netflix thing. It did while it did take place supposedly in the MCU, as we discussed with the Daredevil show before. Um, there was this weird separation, but then again, it felt like it was more down at the street level rather than this big uh, fight. You know, this big yeah. epic level. Yeah. So that was, I mean, that was okay. That was, I was okay with it because it felt like, okay, the MCU at this point in time is dealing with like earth shattering stuff, stuff that can really change the world. I, you know, it, it's nice to see superheroes like it, it, it dealing with just stuff at, at, at a lower sort of uh, level, if that makes sense. It's, it's more about the personal, it's more about the, uh, you know, dangers to people around them. I think as we'll see going forward, it's kind of a, about people on the fringes mm. of this superpowered world yeah. the things that have managed to fall through the cracks will you're the man to take us behind the scenes on uh, on the tv shows that we uh, experience here on marvel versus marvel i handle the comic book side you handle the hollywood side because you are Mr. Hollywood. We all know that about Will Preston. We all say it to ourselves before we go to sleep every night. Yep. We lie down in bed, we close our eyes, and we say, Will Preston is Mr. Hollywood. So, Mr. Hollywood, um, using your sources, uh, breaking legs, you know, taking pictures, you've r- make, rooked, raked through the muck. That's what I was yep. looking for. You've raked through the muck to get us the dirt on how this Jessica Jones series came about. What can you tell us? Do you know what it sounds like when you say Mr. Hollywood? There are two images that come to light. That what well, The first one is uh, the, the, that, that film Hail Caesar, the main character in that. Yeah. Yeah, they're the main character in Hail Caesar. I can't remember, uh, Josh Brolin's character. And the other one is like some kind of wrestler dude with a glittery jacket that says Mr. Hollywood Mr. on the Mr. Hollywood! <laughs> 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 My God, King, he's broken him in half! Okay, anyway. What would Mr. Hollywood's um, finishing move be? Mr. F- uh, the... Uh, the casting couch. Oh, I was just about to say that as well, and then I was like, no, <laughs> It'd be don't terrible, say that. wouldn't it? No one wants the casting couch. I was about to say, how apt this episode to say casting couch. Jeez, jeez. <laughs> anyway, 
this uh, this show, Jessica Jones, was in production for quite some uh, uh, for a few years. Uh, in December two, uh, 2010, series creator Melissa Rosenberg was developing, aka Jessica Jones, for ABC under her new production banner, Tall Girls Productions, along with ABC Studios and Marvel Television. The series would be based on the comic book series Alias and was intended to air in 2011. Alias writer Brian Michael Bendis was attached as consultant with Joe Quesada, serving as an executive producer. So it's very, so, you know, we 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 got the big, we got some big guys on. It sounds promising. This, you know, already. It sounds like production started two thousand and ten. So, um, like you know, only a, as we talked about, that's that's the time frame of our last uh, episode of Avengers: Earth Mightiest Heroes, where we've only had Iron Man one and two and. Mm-hmm. Hulk. Yep. So the um, the Marvel Universe is incredibly small. The MCU is incredibly small, but already um, a, a potential interest. A brave, yeah, a brave bold time. Yeah. I think were they doing? No, they don't think they did Agents of Shield until uh, after Avengers, did they? So it's it was it even no, kind of didn't. production hadn't even started on that. I don't think because it was supposed to be all about the death. It's supposed to relate to the death of Agent Coulson, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I haven't watched a TV show yet, but I've heard about that. Anyway, uh, Melissa Rosenberg' uh, previous work includes writing the screenplays for all the Twilight films. Never seen them, but I'm sure people have. Uh, head writer. Well, yes, they are. It's a huge multi-billion-dollar franchise. Yes, Rob. But more importantly, I don't want to watch them. <laughs> <laughs> look, 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 look. You can, I, I have a mate, Tommy Etling, very funny guy, lives in Mexico now, he used to do, be on the uh, London comedy circuit, and he did this annoying thing of, we argue about something and I say it's rubbish, and he went, but Will, it made loads of money, therefore it's good. And it's like, that's, anything else is just out of personal taste, and it's like, I can't argue back with that, and I'm like, but I don't like it, shut up. <laughs> anyway, she was also the head writer for Dexter. Did you ever watch Dexter, Rob? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, massive show. Yeah, I, I stopped after I read the first book and stopped after season four, like everyone told me to. Mm. <laughs> I never watched mm. them. My mum's the one who actually got me into oh, it. She was, she was my, really into Dexter. That is that show really goes off a cliff edge. Yeah, I really I mean, hard. It was already ridiculous to begin with, but in a nice ridiculous. And yeah, then, yeah. It. But anyway, she was also the writer and co-executive producer on The O.C. That's a show I've never seen, but you've seen, haven't you? You've seen The O.C. Yeah, big time. Uh, We talked about it a lot in one of our bonus episodes about Mm. the Young Avengers, because the guy that um, created uh, and was a big producer and writer on that. I remember that. um, Was he the creator? No, but he was one of the big writers. Um, Alan Heinberg, he Mm. moved over and managed to get some some, some work writing from Marvel and kind of brought a a kind of a, a, a greater awareness and a big fan kind of a fan base with them as well a team mm. fan base uh also it's a very smartly written show the oc it really really was it uh, and when, when i get through this list uh i'm gonna like tie the whole thing in into why it suits jessica jones other shows that melissa rosenberg has written for include dr quinn medicine woman did you not love that on a saturday afternoon i never watched it oh, i never watched dr quinn medicine on an itv oh I, With the honky, honky dude that was in it. Oh, I love that show. I think the only thing I ever saw was the French and Saunders sketch where they were sending it off. Oh, I don't remember that. A spoof of Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman, and it's like it's brilliant. over the top. But the only other reference I have is me and my brother uh, quoting a line from The Simpsons where Marge has got a new activity she's doing at night. And like when Homer goes, but Wednesday nights are our night. What do you mean? Oh, what do you mean? A little something called Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman. <laughs> we always say it like that. Uh, other shows that Melissa Roseberg wrote include, wrote for include, The Outer Limits, 
Dark Skies, Hercules the Legendary Journeys, and Ali McBeal. So, the, yeah, the pattern I'm seeing here is stuff that deals with sci-fi and the fantastical, with uh, some, some uh, female-led uh, shows as well. I think what we need to remember about writers is that an awful lot of the time, uh, you're not necessarily writing a thing you would like. You're getting a job to write. The yes. directors are the same as well. Um, until they become a ne- until you become a name, until you can create a show, it's mm. like, well, I I've got some work writing a few episodes for Doctor Quinn, Medicine Woman. I got a few episodes writing for Dark Skies. If it was a mm. Hercules, a Legendary Journey, it doesn't necessarily reflect the things you are going to write. You, you are. It's a job. Here's it's the a character. Here's the premise. Yep. Here's yep. the here's what the episode's about. You need to write the scripts. You know. Um, um, and I'm, I'm, and then it, you know there are times that I'm sure that that, that um, she was in the writers' room and kind of contributing a lot more and driving things as well. But like, like I won't have any knock on Hercules' legendary journey. Dark Skies is really well thought of, as is Ali McBeal. Um, Was Hercules' so, yeah. legendary journey a, a spin-off of Xena Warrior Princess or something? All the way round. Are the way round. Mm. No way. Yeah, Lucy Lawless first appears as a different character oh, within Hercules, okay. and then they were so enjoyed the her performance and stuff, they kind of created a Xena character and and Amazing. and split the crews, and all filmed in New Zealand, I think. Was it Kevin um, Sorbo who played uh, Hercules? It, yeah, it was indeed Kevin Sorbo. Yeah, and he's gone off the rails a bit. <laughs> Uh, from our perspective, yes. From our perspective, from his yes. perspective, he's uncovered lots of different conspiracies that nobody else ever knew about. <laughs> uh, yeah, and of course, Ali McBeal. We've discussed Ali McBeal before uh, on our She-Hulk episode. N- n- I-, I barely saw it, but I did watch Boston Legal. I'm sure that's the same thing. <laughs> Uh, I've not seen Boston Legal, so I can't be in on the joke or reply. Uh, I saw the famous one, Ali McBeal. I didn't see Boston Legal. Boston, Boston um, Legal's very funny. Uh, uh, I, yeah, Ali McBeal just had a... It was part of that wave along with like Sex and the City, which of course was a bit different and came a little bit later, but that wave of female-printed shows that yep. you know do an awful lot about female agency and dating and things like that, but in a funny way. And yeah. I had a dancing baby. <laughs> The Dancing Baby came up on a podcast I was listening to uh, the other day. They were talking about, hey, do you remember the Dancing Baby and Ali McBeal on my Sopranos podcast? It was the first, I think it's the first meme or the first first gif. It is the first meme, the first gif. And they were like, I was like, oh my God, I feel old now. How dare you? Anyway, anyway. I'll get back to the production notes. At the 2011 San Diego Comic-Con International, Marvel television head Jeff Loeb said the series would include the characters Carol Danvers and Luke Cage. That would have been interesting to see Carol Danvers appear that early. Well, why did it not happen, Will? Well, Tell us the full story. Let's get the full story then. Okay. In November 2011, Rosenberg's The Show was now hoping to get on the schedule for 2012 and wanted Luke Cage as part of the show. Uh, she also confirmed that Carol Danvers would be a principal character in the series. And then in May 2012, ABC president Paul Lee said the network had passed on the series. Jeff Loeb revealed that ABC had requested the series, switched its focus to Danvers as the main character, who was a great life living on Fifth Avenue, with Jones becoming a side character to Danvers' story, no longer telling the Jessica Jones story. That feels like such a Hollywood thing to do. It does. It really does. We don't does. like the depressed lead character. <laughs> Make this a show about the one with the good, happy life. <laughs> yeah, we want to make. We, we we don't want people thinking about feelings. People are idiots. We want them to be happy. We want. I, 
I have to say, an awful lot of this feels like what happens when you're in bed with a network. Um, yeah. Like, I, uh, as research for 2000, the research I go through for you guys is immense. And research for the 2010, uh, sorry, our last episode was about Avengers Earth Mighty's Heroes, mm. when we dug up some history about the year 2010 and how it was a massive changing year in the world of television. And so I uh, consumed like an eight-part documentary series about the rise of Netflix. No. <laughs> um, and one of the huge things that, that the huge advantages Netflix had when it decided I'm, we're going to create our own TV shows, and and we're not going to start, we're not we're not going to carry on with this business of licensing old shows from network. Mm. We're going to create our own. One of the big things it's able to do is sit down in a room with someone like David Fincher and say, the reason you should take House of Cards to Netflix is because, one, we'll pay all this money, and two, we won't give you a single note. We won't demand any changes. You Mm. make it, we buy it. Done. Um, And that's you don't have this thing of, like we see here, a network saying, if we're going to invest and make this show, our audiences don't want a show about a depressed, drunk P.I., our audiences want a nice fun a fun show about Carol Danvers who's got a good life and lives on Fifth Avenue um, which is I mean it's Netflix is really important to some of these, these these things that we're seeing as as is Disney Plus because Disney Plus becomes the the Disney's own Netflix so you don't have to have this I was about to say the it would be funny if they just went a step further and called it the marvelous Carol Danvers or something like that <laughs> Could well have done, yeah. Could well have done. I mean, the, re- the reason Carol Danvers um, is, is even in the conversation is because she is um, one of the supporting characters in Alias. Mm. Um, so that's why it's not like a random pull. She is, her and Luke Cage feature and Scott Lang feature a lot in the comic. Excellent, excellent. Anyway, Rosenberg was then forced to stop, to, sorry, to shop the show to other networks saying, I don't know if it's an ABC show. It might be a cable show, really. The Alias graphic novel is the first one that Marvel It's not a graphic did. novel. Carry Sorry? on. It's not a graphic novel. Carry on. <gasps> the Alias comic is the first one that Marvel did that was meant to serve an adult audience. I towed it down a little bit for network, but it's very, very easy to translate that into cable. Very easy. So when she's saying cable, and some of our English and European audiences might not catch on with this, I'm sure Will knows, <laughs> cable is referring, I mean, generally to HBO, because they're the first yeah. people to do it. Yeah. HBO is a different kind of television network in America. It's pay television, mm. um, which means you subscribe, and they don't have advertisers, mm. um, which means that they can put on any kind of show they want, hence Soprano, Sex in the City, um, and, and and so and so on. Um, and, then, and then other cable tv shows do have um there are other cable shows that, that aren't premium that do have mm. advertisers um but they are led to the rise of things like breaking bad that was a made for cable show um so there are ones that, it, that around this time want to push for big because they've seen the success of sopranos they want their own sopranos so they are they will push for and, and create things like breaking bad so in a way that network television just won't do yeah, yeah. So it's, it's an interesting model, and HBO, uh, I'm a big sucker for, as they pretty much created the prestige TV drama, which is my favourite genre. 100%, yeah. Favourite genre of television, and I'm really glad everyone else is picking it up. Anyway, anyway. 
In October 2013, Deadline reported that Marvel was preparing four drama series uh, and a miniseries totaling 60 episodes to present to video on-demand services and cable providers with Netflix, Amazon and WGN America expressing interest. A few weeks later, Marvel and Disney announced that Marvel Television and ABC Studios would provide Netflix with live-action series centred around Jessica Jones, Daredevil, Iron Fist and Luke Cage, leading up to a miniseries called... The Defenders. Rosenberg was brought on to write and produce the new incarnation of the series to be reconfigured from her original project. I was super excited when that was being tapped around and announced mm. that that's what was happening. That it was, it again, this is not just a TV project. Mm. Marvel are doing a shared universe TV project. They are giving us a series of TV shows that build to a team show, yes. just like the movies. Mm. That was incredible, amazing. I'm very excited. I remember hearing about that and just thinking, oh, so basically it's going to be like the Avengers, but, you know, <laughs> on a smaller level. But hey, that mm. sounds that still sounds cool. And also the uh, there was talk about the Punisher appearing. And I was, for some, even though I wasn't that into the Punisher, I, I, I understood what, what kind of person he was. And I was kind of excited about seeing that uh, Sure, yeah. Like, like, that makes sense yeah. because he's a major character. He's had numerous video games. He's mm. appeared in, as we talked about, he's appeared in cartoons and he's had movies. Yeah. You know, in a way that those other characters for sort of Daredevil haven't really. So, he's yeah, it feels like, oh, that's a, a kind of almost like an, another star in the, sh- in, the, in the series. But in a way, though, he's like Spider-Man. He can exist in his own thing without having to cross over. He, he, he can hold his own in a film or TV show. Yeah, sure. I think they all. I think they all. I mean, yeah. There's very few Marvel characters that feel like they can't do that. I think. Okay, because but they all yeah. they all exist in their own comics, don't they? Yeah, but. yeah, yeah. Anyway, Melissa Rosenberg wanted to avoid actually showing rape in the story, which she called lazy storytelling and often a way to spice up male characters. She preferred to just showcase the rape-related trauma, a, a part of characters' everyday lives. So that's an interesting way of doing it. I, like... I, I, I feel as well that I mean mm. we've seen we've seen some aspects of it in comic books, but yeah. I certainly felt this point where I was watching yeah. a lot of prestige dramas, and it felt like ev- almost every single thing I was watching there was a sexual assault being being used as like a a plot point, a story point, but yeah. not to do with the women. It's used mm. as a way to spur the male characters onto action to affect the male character's kind mm. of arc rather than the, the woman's and it was getting just very repetitive and depressing i remember i didn't progress with westworld because i sat down with my dad who loved the westworld movie to watch mm. this new sci-fi series that i really liked the idea of and there was this sexual assault right at the start yeah and my dad just said i don't want to watch this and i said yeah neither do i yeah and we turned it off um, and on my on my dad's side, he doesn't want to see that. He wants something yeah. a bit more fun, right? <laughs> and on my side, I'm just I, I I'm not saying you can't put this in a TV show, mm. but it felt like the prestige dramas were just doing this constantly. And again, it was there to serve the male character arc rather than the female arc. Um, yeah. And it was just incredibly, fr- you know, it was it was getting um, very repetitive and depressing. And it, and, it feels um, like it's been yeah. done to the point where. You're not quite numb to it, but you're just there going, oh, I'm kind of done. Yeah, I'm kind of done seeing this. In, in, in comic books, Gail, Gail Simone, as we talked about, mm. um, came up with this term called women in refrigerators. Which, that's that's um, what I was thinking. Is, is yeah. to do with where in, in comic books, the superhero's girlfriend would be maimed or killed or something horrible would happen to her yeah. just to kind of like get be a shock 
at mm. push some buttons and spur the male character on to take action and to be more invested and angry. Exactly, um, yeah. It's, and which is treating yeah. the female characters as props rather than characters. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not good. Anyway, Melissa Rosenberg had initially expected to be inundated with viewer complaints about the abortion issue in the series, but instead was horrified to receive scathing condemnation for the series' portrayal of a sexual relationship between a white woman and a black man, Jessica Jones and Luke Cage. Rosenberg recounted to The Hollywood Reporter's Lacey Rose that her picture even ended up on a hate site that targeted her because she is Jewish, which said was a particularly scary moment for her. I didn't know about this because we were so used these days of people in film uh, get, get, getting hate. Maybe you know, mainly women if they if they if they're the lead in a in a mm. film project. You usually get there's you usually get this horrible uh, anger against them, and it's so prevalent these days. But this is a bit before it really took full swing, and it's scary to look back and see it happening. Then yeah, it seems like it's a before Twitter kind of was there as the major platform to take it into the um mm. into the next level um and as we'll talk about uh this is something that that, that the comic book alias received as well um not oh. just the not just the tv show oh dear oh dear this is uh on, on another note this is marvel's only film noir slash neo-noir project film noir in case some of you didn't know, is an American movie style from the 90s and 40s and 50s that features detective protagonists, sleazy surroundings, dim lighting, and a tragic tone. The French term film noir translates literally to English as black film, indicating sinister stories often presented in a shadowy cinematographic style. There's a big word. <laughs> I, I chipped over my own notes. Never mind. The typical noir character is a private investigator or detective with a murky past or moral uncertainty. The femme fatale is another well-known character, a desirable, forceful lady with questionable or ambiguous loyalties. In addition, supporting characters on the more outskirts society, such as criminals, gamblers, and those who inhabit bars and nightclubs. Many we films. see an awful lot of that, don't we, in, in this series? We do. We, we, we get a lot of the nods, a lot of the codes and conventions of a film noir story happening there. Uh, many film noir films have pessimistic or defeatist tones, uh, reflecting Cold War era beliefs with characters placed in dire situations due to reasons beyond their control, often with the main character narrating the story. Film noir stories dealt with subjects and tones that were often far too dark for the rest of Hollywood. Subjects of crime, violence, misogyny, the abuse of power, and sexuality. Classics of the film noir genre include The Maltese Falcon, The Big Sleep, The Big Heat, Double Indemnity, and High Sierra. Some uh, of my some of my all-time favorite movies, though. So I've never, uh, never seen them. Oh, I, I can't. The Maltese Falcon and the Big Sleep, especially, mm. and High Sierra, all of them. Put them on the list, man. Get them watched. I, uh, I've read the book, The Big Sleep. I've read the original book. Movies. Mm, I don't know. It's hard to say the movie's better because the writing on The Big Sleep is wonderful, but so is Humphrey Bogart in the movie. He's just something else. Yeah. It, it wasn't the Big Lebowski, bait, uh, mostly. Uh, not an homage to the big sleep, or it was the the story. Yeah, the name set. certainly was, and and the, yeah. the back and the forth, and the yeah. the rich man, and yeah, well, the, the femme fatale, and but, you know, well, it's, it's you know those things that crop up in a lot of film was. Yeah, a lot of it, a lot of ins, a lot of outs, a lot of what have yous. <laughs> 
Sorry, quoting Big Lebowski. Never okay, mind. got you. Yeah, not yeah. everyone knows every line of a movie they've seen. Not everyone's perfect, Rob. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a genre that is still active to this day. Dozens of movies have since incorporated characteristics of cinema noir, becoming known as neo-noir. Movies like Taxi Driver, Blade Runner, L.A. Confidential, Memento, The Big Lebowski, Sin City, and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Oh, Taxi Driver. I, I did a Martin Scorsese marathon. Not all of his films, sadly, but quite a few of them. And every time I watch Taxi Driver, I feel I need to take a long shower. It's an unsettling movie. It's so dirty. It's so you feel the and, filth. And it's not. And, I'm, and I don't think that. Don't I don't think there's much graphic depictions in it. But mm. it, it's the it's the look of the scenery, yeah, yeah, yeah. the locations, the world that he's the, like the bit where he takes her to watch a pornographic movie <sighs> on a date is just. It's a really grubby kind of. Yeah, you just don't feel it, it's an unsettling film. It's it, it's unsettling, but at that moment, it's just like, oh god, he there's something missing in his psyche. It's really what uh, Blade Runner. I'm a huge fan of. It's a film that improves every single watch, and almost every single frame of that film is a work of art. Ellie Confidential loved it. Read the book too. I'm a big fan of Big Lebowski. Have, Memento, you like it? I think I'm the only person who didn't think it was that good. And Sin City, you haven't seen Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, but Sin City. Read a few of the comic books. Enjoyed the film. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is a, is huge fun. It's brilliant. Really okay. good. Um, Sin City, you know, yeah. I, I I I had a big Frank Miller stage when I was a teenager, which is I think is about the <laughs> right time to have a Frank Miller stage. Um, by the time the movie came out, I was I was kind of over it. But yeah, but there we go. Fair. It's I really exciting it. though to uh, be at a stage now where we're seeing something like film noir, crime noir, um, entering into the MCU, the Marvel Universe. Let's take a little trip now behind the page on this Jessica Jones series, and we need to look at uh, some major, major movements in the history of Marvel Comics. Mm. This is a milestone for us to look at. Um, we need to think about how Marvel went bankrupt in the 90s, gets bought and sold, and after that, Marvel is, is, is trying a whole bunch of big and bold new ideas um, as we as we get to the end of the 90s and the start of the 2000s. Um, we we look at Marvel's competitor DC Comics. They have a really good thing going in the eighties and nineties with something called Vertigo Comics, like an imprint within DC Comics that mm. published adult, mature comic books. Um, they would use uh, writers and artists from outside the world of superheroes um, to do horror stories and science fiction, and supernatural and crime stories, um, and that led to them getting things like Sandman. Mm. Uh, Alan Moore on Swamp Thing Grant Morrison on, on Animal Man Doom Patrol like critically acclaimed series um, that they were also able to put into uh, paperback collections and hardback collections which some people call graphic novels when they're being <laughs> wrong and they were able to sell those in bookshops in kind of the in in the fiction section, in 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 a different way of presenting and selling comic books than had really been done in the mainstream. Bookshops didn't really sell comic books, and there's a whole generation of kids, uh, adults now, that when they were younger, they bought all their comics from the bookshop, Smiths, Waterstones, uh, wherever wherever it might be. Um, and and DC were at the forefront of that because they had these mature things because they were making. I mean, Watchmen wasn't Watchmen isn't part of Vertigo, but it was one of the 
steps along the way to getting Vertigo mm. up and running. They yeah, yeah. had a claim with the Dark Knight Returns. They had a claim with Watchmen. Um, and then they had a claim with Alamore's... Um, uh, swamp thing and then they started to to move in this direction and go well what if we thanks to the wonderful incredible work of this this woman called karen berger this incredible one of the most incredibly important figures in comics and completely overlooked she was the editor at dc who launched vertigo who cultivated these relationships with a lot of these european writers that i've talked about mm. and basically funneled them into american comics to have this outsider view and outsider take on mainstream comics mm. marvel had nothing like that um until something called marvel knights came along ah. this guy called joe quesada um who uh, was a outsider artist and writer who had his own very small comic book publishing company called uh, Event Comics, I think, um, and had this character called Ash. Ash was a firefighter who was also gained superpowers and became a superhero, as impervious to fire or something along those lines. And that was a, you know, he had moderate success during the superhero boom of the 90s. Mm. Um, but more importantly, he was a writer, he was an artist, he was an editor, and he was a publisher. And he was he had so many great contacts in the, in the independent comic book world that Marvel tapped Joe Quesada to, can you come into Marvel and create your own imprint within us that would essentially do what Vertigo sort of did, bring mm. these outsider artists and writers in, and we'll give them Marvel characters that aren't being used anymore and help revolutionise them and put some fresh blood into them, into things. Um, and so that's exactly what Joe Quesada did. The project was called Marvel Knights, um, and it, you know Daredevil was a completely overlooked character that no one cared about. Mm. He was made part of the Marvel Knights, and Joe Quesada had a relationship with Kevin Smith and brought Kevin Smith, the filmmaker, in yeah. to write Daredevil, making it the number one comic in the world. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was a huge get for Marvel. Um, and from that stage, you know, Grant Morrison came in to work on some, on the Fantastic Four, and, you know, lots of other, other, um, Mark Miller came in. Mm. Uh, no, sorry, Garth Ennis. Mark Miller didn't come in at that stage, I don't think. Garth Ennis came in. You just got we, Mark Miller and Garth Ennis mixed up, and I, I think did, that's yeah. brilliant. Gar <laughs> okay. Why is it brilliant? Because they're interchangeable. They are not. Garth Ennis is a good writer. <laughs> okay, fair play. Gar sorry. Garth Ennis is brought in um, mm. to the to, to, to Marvel, and he, he give, is given Punisher for the first time as part of this Marvel Knights project and creates a, a real storm with that. Um, but these uh, Joe Quesada does so well at running Marvel Knights mm. that he becomes the editor in chief of the whole company. <laughs> like he wow. becomes the the guy creatively in charge of all of Marvel Comics. Amazing. Um, that was a because it was such a success. Mm. Now Marvel Marvel Knights was 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 creating critically acclaimed stories and things, but they weren't they weren't re they were mm. pushing the boundaries on what you might call themes and tone. Okay. But they weren't necessarily doing... It was not an adult comic book. Okay. It was not... Like Vertigo um, was not part of the rest of, of DC and it didn't have a, a rating that young people could go and read it, right? Um, so it's still being published under what's called the Comic Code Authority. Hmm. And then during this time, writer Brian Michael Bendis, who was an independent star as well um he came up with an idea 
that made Marvel want to start swearing and start shagging. Um, <laughs> so the, the Comic Code Authority is like the almost the approval, the rating system, if you will, for comic mm. books. Um, <laughs> it was... So back in the 50s, the comic book industry had to try and prevent the government, the American government, from stepping in and regulating comic book content mm. with laws. Um, we've talked a few times about there being a moral panic over comic books in yeah. the 50s, horror comics, crime comics. They'd really um, dented the way the American public saw comic books. The industry was on the verge of having you know, the government regulate, this is what you can and can't put in comic books. It's enshrined as law. We are regulating your industry. Um, mm. They didn't want that to happen, so they created a self-regulatory body called the Comic Code Authority, the CCA. Um, and it was to prevent bloodshed and violence and sexual stories and swearing from cropping up in comic books you know, on, on, a, on, a, on a newsstand alongside Superman and Spider-Man and stuff. So... If it, for decades, you had to have the Comic Code Authority's stamp of approval, its literal yeah. logo on the front of your, on your of your comic, in order for anyone to advertise in your comic, and in order for anyone to sell them in their shops. Like the shops would not carry an unapproved comic book, and advertisers generally would not, especially in the fifties, sixties, and the seventies, would not want to advertise in something that's not going to be sold and doesn't it doesn't have an approval and isn't good for kids and stuff oh yeah but by the year 2000 they really the comics code authority had 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 no power left anymore mm. um comic book shops which had suddenly come to existence in the 80s weren't going to stop stocking marvel comics advertisers <laughs> weren't going to stop buying adverts in amazing spider-man because you know this company falls out with him so Marvel is working along the lines of do we need the CCA anymore? Yeah. Um, yeah. And eventually what happens is they create two new lines of comic books. Um, Marvel Adventures, which features superhero stories for younger readers, mm -hmm. and then a mature adult-themed line of comics called Max. Ah. Um, Marvel Max comics carry a warning on the front cover. Similar to the explicit content label you used to get on CDs back on the day. You know, <laughs> I remember those. It was the black box and it said warning, you know. Those were content, the best albums. Those were the content, good albums. Yeah. Um, and, and it would say that this story is intended for 18 plus. Yeah. Now, there's not a law like there is in movies that says a, a, a young kid can't buy it, but uh, it's not prohibited by law, but... Yeah, I think you'll find that shops probably wouldn't sell them to younger kids. Mm. Um, the, the Max comics are where you'll you'll find these different kinds of content, and this all started because of Jessica Jones. Mm. Brian Michael Bendis submitted his script for Alias, a story about a hard drinking private investigator on the fringes of the Marvel universe. The script contained swearing drinking depictions of sex and graphic conversations about sex mm. but it was also powerful and nuanced and layered and really exciting and thrilling it was the kind of stuff that vertigo comics have been doing for years yeah, and that marvel yeah. have never been able to do marvel president bill jemis who was a rebel in himself um he read that script and declared to marvel editors and bosses why can't we publish this comic and when the answer comes back, because it wouldn't get approved by the Comics Code Authority, mm. President Jemis decides to ditch the CCA 
altogether launched this old adult mature line of, of, of Marvel Marvel Comics, Marvel Max, all because of how great Alias was, all because of Brian Michael Bendis' script. It changed Marvel. Um, so Alias launches under the, the Max Marvel Max comic line. The very first word that appears in the very first issue is the F word. Yay! Um, the comic also <laughs> contained uh, Luke Cage using the N word and a lot of other adult language and adult conversation. Um, Bendis's writing is brought to life um, by artist Mike Gate, Michael Gaydos. If you just take a look at some of the first two images I've sent you, Will, um, you'll be able to see uh, this this art style, which is gritty it's full of shadows and it's packed with uh regular human bodies as opposed to the impressive superhuman superhero physiques that you see in other comics the artwork is like the antithesis of a glossy mainstream superhero comic it Um, looks like something from 2000 ad you know the more serious comics strips you get in 2000 ad yeah yeah it has that same feel plus you know there's there's a picture of her on the toilet and it's like yeah that's the opposite of glamorous. <laughs> very, very much. And that's yeah. really important to, to Alias. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, Will's, Will's got a full page uh, where Jessica is working through a case whilst sat on the toilet. Um, the If you take a look at some of the other two images I sent you, the, the covers of each issue hmm. are painted by an artist called David Mack, um, who did not have a lot of painted covers for independent comics for a long, long time. He's the creator behind a series called Kabuki, which was quite popular in the independent scene in the, in the 90s. And this kind of creates an impressionist artwork and collages. Um, that's what the covers are. And they're a world away from the kind of traditional comic book covers designed to draw in kids and teenagers, which feature a fight scene or a superheroic pose or whatever. They don't look like regular comic books, do they? No, no, no. They. It reminds me. I don't know who that artist was who did Arkham Asylum, and they did some um, other stuff. But we talked about that before. The irregular. Yeah, I got it wrong last time. Uh, it's not Bill Senkovich. It's it's somebody else, and my brain has gone on me. Um, That's fine. That's fine. Maybe you should do a COVID test. <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding. But it, everything about this comic book screams yeah. this is for adults or this very isn't for so. you right yeah. it it's it's very mature very. it's not in in the way that you know on the front cover there's a sex joke or anything mm. but it's just sort of saying this this so these covers look like almost you know album covers or the cover of an art book or something the character jessica jones becomes a critical success uh, a very acclaimed series. It's the talk of the industry for years to come. Originally, when 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 Bendis was creating the series, he wanted to use an existing Marvel character. Ooh. He'd wanted to use a Spider Woman, otherwise known as Jessica Drew. Spider Woman huh. was created in the seventies, yeah. been popular for a brief period of time, and then fallen out of popularity. And in the eighties, the character had stopped being a superhero altogether, stopped wearing a costume, and instead become a bounty hunter and private investigator. And that was kind of his inspiration. He liked the idea of a superhero character that had fallen between the cracks of the Marvel Universe and was now on the fringes and become a PI. And he thought that was a great route. But in the end, Bendis wanted to go so far with the story in Alias and do so many different things with the character and 
and, and the background, intense themes that really Marvel and its lawyers have to think about the the intellectual property that is Spider Woman, mm. and and the changes you're allowed to do. Yeah. Carol Danvers was in exactly the same spot, probably as Spider Woman throughout the 1980s and most of the 90s, completely forgotten about. Now, someone could have come along at that stage and said, look, this character, no one's reading, you haven't published this character in ages, no one cares about the character, let me take the character and introduce this very adult background of sexual assault, let me introduce this, let me show a pitch, let me me portray the character on the toilet, let me do this, that and the other. If Marvel had done that, it would maybe make the character less attractive to eventually become a major superhero comic, uh, movie, sorry. So, Marvel lawyers at some stage have to think about the like the long term worth of an intellectual property. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So the, there are there's things you can do a lot more easily with a original created character that is intended to be mature than there is to take a character that's intended to be a superhero character that kids and teenagers like, and maybe one day be a cartoon or a comic or a TV show or whatever, and make it extra extra mature and gritty and and dark um so instead he's pushed towards creating an original character and and that's how we get jessica jones alias runs for just over two years and was truly truly groundbreaking for lots of reasons like yeah there's swearing and graphic content and mature stories but Alias's depiction of jessica is what's really groundbreaking mm. as, as as we discussed in our she-hulk episode Superhero comics have a long history of displaying female characters for the male gaze and objectifying them in their presentation. You just have to look at that at that panel of that page of Jessica on the loo on the toilet. <laughs> like she's a lead character that books that trend hugely. Yeah. Jessica Jones is not presented in a revealing costume. She wears regular human clothes. Mm. Early issues depict her, as you said, on the on the toilet. Like she's she, and yet She's not presented in a sexualized manner, no. and yet she's not an asexual character. Mm. Jessica's sexuality and her sexual misadventures and what that means for her personal life and her mental health are key parts of the Alias series. So her sexuality is baked into the series, but she's not, and they are not presented in a way that objectifies her. Mm. That was kind of really groundbreaking. Um, and Jessica is, is is depicted as you know you've not had a Marvel lead character that's that's clearly depressed that is suffering from PTSD of some description although I don't know if PTSD was as much in the vocabulary at the time as it is kind of in 2015 mm. but but she's presented and depicted as a person that suffered great abuse and trauma not something you get a lot of at all in mainstream comics and as someone that's been let down like in the great noir tradition we see that how the institutions of the Marvel universe have completely failed Jessica um but in Alias, it's that they are rife with sexism towards her. And they're part that, that sexism is part of the reason why she has become so ostracized, so cynical, and so jaded. Um, it's a major, major groundbreaking work. The, after 28 issues, two and a bit years, um, Bendis and Marvel decide that Jessica Jones is such a great character, they want to actually do more with her. Bendis wants to take her and use her in different ways as part of the... Like, they want to involve her more in the Marvel Universe. But they also feel 
that characters like Spider-Man do not belong in a comic as edgy as Alias. So after mm. resolving a lot of Jerrica's personal issues, kind of almost, you might say, closing out the first arc of her character in those two and a bit years, Alias is cancelled, shut down. Well, not cancelled, but it comes to its end. They just end it. Issue 28 is the last issue. And Bendis launches a new comic that moves Jessica from the fringes of the Marvel Universe like to slap bang in the middle. It's called The Pulse, and it continues the Jessica Jones story as she stops being a private investigator and gets hired by J. Jonah Jameson to become the Daily Bugle's lead investigator on superhuman events. Oh, nice. So she works with the journalists of the Daily Bugle to cover the, Mm. uh, the news stories in the superhero kind of community. Because she's got all these connections. The the first story arc sees Jessica interacting with Spider-Man. And she plays an integral role in the Bugle exposing the Green Goblin's real identity. That he's Norman Osborn. And putting Norman Osborn behind bars for the very first time in the history of, of, of comic books. Like, never before had Norman Osborn gone to prison and mm. been exposed publicly. Um, and the Pulse would then follow... Jessica through like the major Marvel events of the time like the Secret War, the House of M event the end of the Avengers by the time the Pulse ended its run in 2006, Jessica had become a major supporting cast member in the new Avengers um, Mm. and would become more and more involved in major Marvel stories throughout the the, the 2000s Ned Bowman of The Guardian wrote of Jessica Jones in this period of time, you might feel that if you want to see female characters treated with any respect by the creators, the male-dominated world of superhero comics is just not for you. But there are exceptions. Perhaps the greatest female superhero of recent years is Brian Michael Bendis' Jessica Jones. For more than 40 issues, Bendis took us inside her head creating one of the bravest, wittiest, and most sensitive portraits of a female character that superhero comics have ever seen. Plus, she had a realistic body and didn't try to battle evil in a gold bikini and stiletto heels. (laughs) And I think that part is just as important as everything else, the trauma in the background and everything. The presentation of Jessica as a realistic person is a lot more attractive to a wider spectrum of the audience. Will, what is that upon your lap? It is bursting at the seams. Could it be? Is it? Is it truly the MVM mailbag? Uh, let me just check. Why, yes, it is. It is the MVM mailbag. You can always get in touch with us, Marvel versus Marvel at gmail.com, or you can get in touch with us on a bit of short love. Short to love. If you tweet us at Marvel versus what do you got? What do you know? We're just giggling at short to love. There's something I want to say, but it but it'd be too rude. No, 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 not read the letters, letter monkey. (laughs) Come on, get to it. It's a big show. Stop it. Anyway, Daniel Carlson enjoyed Jessica Jones. I watched it and really enjoyed the first season, but I did not finish the final season. The Purple Man was a great heel of the first season. And the acting okay, in the series well, we need was to step quality. in there because he's using professional wrestling terms to describe a character. So a great heel, good old Daniel, means a good villain. He was a good bad guy. Okay. Good bad guy, there we go. Proceed. 
And the acting in the series was top quality. It made me want to read Jessica Jones and I've since picked up a couple of the Bendis series and really like the writing and stunning artwork. Thanks for getting in touch, Daniel. Uh, yeah, I'm, glad, I'm, 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 I'm always pleased when it inspires a, a good show, inspires people to go in and, and pick up a comic because not all things do that really, do they? Indeed. Uh, Cody... Was also... Cody, 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 Cody! <laughs> oh! God, it's 2007 all over again. Uh, Cody it's was also... It's, it's, it's a good one. Cody was also a fan. Uh, I really enjoyed the first season. It was incredible. David Tennant is amazing. Big New Who fan when they finally air new episodes in the States. And the girl that plays Jessica Jones is great too. The, season, the second season was fine. I don't remember a lot about it, but don't remember anything negative the third season was good and i think a step up from the second i liked a villain in that one but overall the first season is top tier television and felt hard to top i think that's that's definitely true it is very hard to top that first season I've, i like them all um but yeah that first series just uh contains a real powerful punch absolutely um, i think they all I think they all benefited after the, the, the Defenders series. I, I have to say, I think um, Daredevil series really picked up. Um, not really picked up, had a, a fantastic third season um, after the Defenders series as well. So, yeah. Well, uh, my, my problem I, 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 I've, me- I've mentioned at some point is uh, I only watched the first season of all the shows. I watched the second season of Daredevil, I think, but I never finished the rest of them. And I, um, I've put it down on my list of TV shows and films to watch to go through everything all over again. The I third think it, season yeah. of Daredevil is, I think it's the best season. It's oh, so good. Okay. It's so good. The Kingpin becomes somehow even worse. It's just amazing. I can't wait for it. And then it'll get, get my appetite savoured for Daredevil Reborn, obviously. Uh, next. Born again. Have, sorry. Born again, I think. Born again. Yeah. What did I say? Reborn. Okay, whatever. What, what's the problem? <laughs> is the problem that you were wrong and I corrected you? Or uh, they, they, they mean the same thing, but that's not the point of a title, is no, it? No, the problem is I feel bad. You made me feel bad, <laughs> Rob. Uh, okay. <laughs> Sam wrote in to say, Hey guys, I've just finished listening to the Marvel Zombies episode for the third time. Say what? For the third time. Uh, one and more op- time. <laughs> Third time! Incredible. Uh, and honestly, it is the best episode yet! Just brilliant. And I can't wait to hear the Jessica Jones episode. It's a series that I really enjoyed, especially David Tennant as Kilgrave. I got a place in the London Marathons for April, so you're both keeping me company during my training runs. I'm also looking forward to listening to a couple of episodes around the marathon as well. In a world that is currently not the greatest and all over the place with uncertainty, it's nice to have MVM as a constant. So thank you, and as always, keep up the awesome work. That's great to hear. Thank you so much for getting in touch, Sam. Mm. Um, I think can we? Are you raising? Are you raising money? Can we? Can we? Can, for, for, are you in the marathon for a charity? Let us know. Yeah, we'll promote know. that. We'll we'll post that. Um, can we? Like, is there? Can you put our logo? Can you be sponsored by us? Can you? Like, you know, some runners have like a, a professional sponsor. Can you? <laughs> can you stick like an MVM logo on your on your on your trunks? What are they? Not trunks. What are they called? Shorts. That's the one I'm thinking of. Um, let us know, Sam. We'd like MVM to be in the London Marathon. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> let us use you for advertising. 
<laughs> yeah. I'm kidding. Anyway, finally, we have Melissa Lauren, who said, I'm quite late in the game to finding you guys, but it is fascinating hearing your speculations now that I've already seen several of these movies and shows. It's going to be a while for me to catch up to the present when you're talking about the actual shows, but I'm looking forward to it. We 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 have a slow meander through the the Marvel universe. Mm. Like, don't worry, we're we're you know sometimes you'll get a 1970s episode, <laughs> <laughs> and then like last week. I mean, this week we're back in 2015. Last time it was 2010. Um, you'll catch up, Melissa. Yeah. Uh, thanks for writing in. Melissa is a new subscriber on Patreon.com/slash Marvel versus Marvel. Uh, which means she's able to access uh, many episodes and the uh, the obscure Marvel bonus show, which drops each and every month on Patreon. Uh, we've got to speak of our big supporters over there. Yeah. Peter J, Mikey W, Zach Thomas, Randall Schmidt, Brandon Schmigilski, Bastabir, Sam, Bindi, and Sue P, the world-class wrecking crew, the <laughs> big ballers, the top dollar players. Yeah. Um, they are the ones that do the right thing at an elite level. Um, we, uh, we we wouldn't be here without the support of those guys on patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. I mean, we're closing in, really, Will, on the end of the year. Mm. What a year it's been on Patreon! It's it's been a great year. We 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 always improve each year, I think, and we we've always got lovely support uh, throughout time. But it's really been a it's really been a lovely one this time. I mean, we a started off a year. So yeah, it, 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 I mean, what happened at the beginning of this year, Rob? What happened at the start of this year? What do you mean? <laughs> the know. live show. Oh well, there was a live show. Of course, there was yeah. a live show. The yeah. live show in, in February. You know, we, yeah, then yeah. we had we had we had. Uh, T-shirts as well. Well, we, we so we did a live show, yeah, and then we won an award for best that, live show ever. No, oh, I forgot that um, bit as well. Jeez, I've seen rubbish. And then we had a T-shirt launch, and everyone got yeah, really awesome yeah. T-shirts. Um, and on Patreon, we I mean Marvel, I mean obscure Marvel really came into its own this year. Mm. Um, we had like, let's see if you can jog your memory. Obscure Marvel is our spin-off show where me and Will go through the most ridiculous characters and stories of the Marvel universe. We put that out every month, and everyone on Patreon gets access to that. At that mini show um we had the masked matador yes we had the 3d man do you remember the 3d man <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. his ability is that he is in three dimensions um we uh we had the the orb yeah you've forgotten but if you remember the 90s electronic band of the same name Sure, of course. Uh, the armadillo who became a cuckold. <laughs> he got cooked hard. Uh, the cockadillo. The cockadillo. Yeah. Um, there's the, the the episode all about the Spidermobile. The time Spider-Man had to have a Batmobile because of a licensing deal that Stanley signed. No, Roy Thomas. I forget who it was. Um, we have a circus of crime. Um, who uh, have such powers as owning a snake <laughs> and uh, being able to juggle. We had Ulysses Archer, the world's only super-powered truck driver. What were his powers, Will? 
he could uh, listen to CB radio. <laughs> he had a telepathic connection to CB radio. Uh, we had Silvermane, the geriatric mafioso, who then became just a head. Um, we <laughs> Spider-Man are joining Saturday Night Live with a samurai um, and Bill Murray. We had uh, <laughs> Leapfrog before he was cool. Um, and then we just had in, in, in this month's uh, episode the emissaries of evil the worst collection <laughs> of, of like you think the idea of supervillains teaming up sounds really badass and menacing no no it isn't these guys were the worst who was in that group um leapfrog the mask matador who was the only one that wanted to do sensible things like stab <laughs> daredevil to death in an alley when he's asleep <laughs> was uh was uh stilt, stilt man, man. still yeah was in there um and their leader of course electro electro, electro yes. the only one with powers the only one who's not a loser the only one who's not a loser he's the glue that held the team together he's so desperately like he felt like so basically uh he was sick of being kelly Rowland in the sinister six yeah. to dr octopus's beyonce and he was like i'm gonna start my own <laughs> band and it went horribly um and then of course <clears throat> at the higher tiers you get access to our our bonus shows, our full-length bonus episodes, um, which, as you've just heard, Marvel Zombies, Sam was listening to that three times since it came out. Um, oh, man. We've really put up some phenomenal episodes this year. Mm. They come out every month. We've had the Life and Times of Cable spinning yes. out of our Deadpool 2 episode, where we had the time-traveling event. That was that was, that was was a real... That was intense on the research for me, because it's so confusing. Mm. Um, we had World War Hulk... Which I think, oh. I think you felt was our best episode. Maybe, maybe. I it was definitely up there. Definitely up there. That spinning out of the Planet Hulk episode, we saw what happened, what the sequel involved. Um, we of course had the if you if you're a, a a big subscriber on Patreon, you got to see not, not just get to hear the audio, you got to see the video of our live show, the the full edited yes. video. We hired a film crew, put the whole thing together. That was a huge amount of fun. Um, we had the Age of Conshu. Do you remember that? I uh, remember that. Moon Knight versus the Avengers, um, the Children's Crusade, the sequel to House of M with Wanda's children, um, which was a oh that was an intense one. Doctor Doom, Magneto, all going on. We had guarding the guarding the galaxy episode. We followed the um, the uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy as they they defended the universe from intense intense battles and all sorts. Of th- the return of Thanos. We had um, Jane Foster, Goddess of Thunder. Uh, right when that new movie came out, we decided we're going to take a look at the whole kind of tale of of and that was a sad one as well. It was an it, emotional it, it was, one, and I'm looking forward to when we get round to uh, Thor: Love and Thunder. We're going to be doing uh, Ragnarok soon, and it will be quite a while till we do Thor: Love and Thunder. Well, there we go. That's the uh, the, the reveal at the end of the show, blown by Will Preston. Um, yes. I didn't say it was going to be the next one. I said soon, Rob. I said okay. soon. Okay. You you ruined um, it. You ruined it. Oh, I ruined it. That's you right. It. I I'm the one that didn't read the run sheet. Yeah. Um, Christmas is cancelled because of Rob <laughs> <laughs> with a spoon. Uh, we had Ultimate Spider-Man, um, which was uh, an amazing retelling of the Spider-Man story. Mm. Then we had the Marvel Zombies, which of course oh, you heard the yes. love for that. This month, we take a look at one of the most important moments in the history of the Avengers, the Kree-Skrull War, that's only available 
on uh, <coughs> patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel next month in december mm. if you're a if, if you're a, if you're a patreon subscribers will know our guarding the galaxy episode ended on a cliffhanger Yes. It ended with a part two coming soon. So in December, we will bring you as our bonus episode a Marvel story called Thanos Imperative. The Guardians of the Galaxy must work together with Thanos, who is back from the dead, in order to fight an even more dangerous foe. An entire universe of twisted superheroes trying to invade our reality. That's going to be on Patreon next month. Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. Support us for as little as three Brexit pounds per month. That's buying me and Will a coffee. You can buy us a drink, <laughs> buy us a coffee, and say, hey, guys, I really, you know what? I listened to that show. It gave me hours and hours of joy. I want to get you guys a drink. That's how you can do it. In exchange for that, you'll get every single episode of Obscure Marvel. If you want early access, if you want bonus content, you can do that as well. Um, there's some real big swinging, hefty, hefty uh, cheddar players at the Do the Right Thing level right at the very, very top. But for the cost of just a drink a month, your coffee per month, you can support me and Will. Yeah. And you can support this podcast. You can help us do all the research and, and buy all the things that we need and get the storage space and the hosting space and everything. The, 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 the website, the website, no, the podcast entails the cost of a drink a month. Head on to patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. And hey, look, if you're not in a position to do that, we understand there are other ways you can support us and help us grow. Give us a review. Leave a great review. Hit that five-star button if you're on Apple. Like like the shows. Share the shows. Tell your friends who like Marvel all about us. Share our content. Share our episodes. Follow us on Twitter, at Marvel Versus. That's a great way that you guys can help the podcast, help us grow, help us find new listeners, and get us to uh, that next, next level in what we're up to. On the other side of this break... It's time to press play. We're going to dive into the murky world of Jessica Jones. Marvel vs. Marvel was researched, written and performed by Rob Holden and Will Preston. The show is produced by Will Preston. And our theme song was composed and performed by Dan Walsh. Head to patreon.com slash marvel vs. marvel for awesome bonus content. Mm-hmm.